Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for being here. On this episode, I speak with part-time Bollywood DJ, full-time equities trader, Nishant Porbandawala. For the past 12 years and ever since leaving college, Nish has been a proprietary trader at Kirshner Trading Group. Kirshner is a firm in Austin, Texas, founded by Andy Kirshner, who appeared back on episode 128. Nish was very open in talking about the ups and downs he's endured throughout his career, including real numbers and the psychological challenges. Nish also tells an incredible story from trading the flash crash of August 2015. Although it was only a very short moment in time, it's a perfect example of what happens when experience meets opportunity. From this thing, you'll also get insight to the strategies Nish has traded and still trades today, and you'll pick up some general thoughts of his on what it takes to perform well as a trader. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I think there's some great lessons to be had here. If you feel the same way, please share this episode with your friends and followers. And if you notice any occasional background noise during the course of this episode, it's just the squawk going off in the office as Nish did the podcast from his desk right after the close. But I think it adds to the vibe. <laughs> Here is Nishant Porbandawala for episode 174. Probably a good starting point for this would be to actually talk about how you got into prop trading because, uh, you know, I'm interested to hear how you landed up there because if I remember correctly, you actually wanted to be a mutual fund manager. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, but, you know, you never get what you want. And um, I was out of school and uh, I kind of applied. Actually, Kushner Trading came to the business school at at UT, which is where I studied. And um, I went and attended one of their, the seminars, you know, when they come to look for to hire candidates. And um, I kind of uh, liked it. But at that time, it was 2006, 2007. And uh, there was a lot of cold calling going on. You know, you, you call people and you ask them for money and I didn't want to do one of those things. 
so when I'm, I met with them and I met with Andy and uh, he said, why don't you come to the office? And I was like, fine, let me go see the, let me go check out the office. And I came to the office and I realized that this is legit. Like people are actually trading and they're trading for themselves. And, you know, it's a proper prop form where you're not calling and cold calling uh, other clients uh, to, uh, to gain their business, you know. So I was like, okay, this is nice. This is cool. Um, and I was, I was always interested in trading, uh, mutual funds. I mean, you know, when you get out of college, you don't, you don't have that much knowledge of anything. You just want to be in, in, you know, trading stocks and you just thought mutual funds is the only way to do it. Um, so when I came, I saw the office. I liked everything, and and uh, I was like, "How do I get involved?" And they said, "They said go to your series seven and fifty six and fifty five. I think fifty five series seven. I don't remember now. It's it's twelve years ago. But then, anyways, I went and did all that and uh, got on the floor. And then there was two weeks of training, and finished my training with them. And um, and then uh, yeah, I was on the floor, uh, and then started trading slowly. <laughs> uh, the way Kushner works is that uh, you, they have a coach assigned to you. Uh, so th- I was trying to learn what my coach was teaching me, and uh, that's how I started. Okay, yeah, it's funny you you said that at the beginning there because. I mean, prop trading is almost like the direct opposite to anything client-facing because there literally are no clients. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely correct, but I think I didn't have that much knowledge to know really what prop trading was. All I did was just to handle my dad's, uh, you know, brokerage portfolio and buy stocks and you know sell stocks and things like that. So I was interested in stocks. I just didn't know there was a a company where you know who gives you money to trade on your behalf on their behalf. You know, uh, so I thought mutual fund is the only way to do it. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just naive. No, of course. I mean, it's 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 not really one of those things you sort of know about unless you're in the know if you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're correct. So, uh, tell me a little bit about how it worked with your coach. Uh, what was the arrangement there? What sort of things were you learning? Like, how'd you, uh, how'd you get started? So, my coach was Matt Oglesby, who was a trader. Um, and he was a really nice guy. And uh, he kind of shared. And one of the things that Kirshner is really good, that people share their stuff. You know, they share how they make money, which very less people will really do. But that's one of our mottos at, at, at KTG is that, you know, the more you share, the more you learn. And uh, it all comes back in a circle, you know, where if I'm learning something new, like I share that with my coach. So anyways, uh, when I came on the floor, uh, he taught me, at, at that time we were playing this uh, E-Code, uh, U-Code, sorry. And the U-Code was basically, um, we would, we would see a big order come on on New York Stock Exchange on the NYC through a specialist, and he would kind of halt the stock for a small period of time, saying, "Listen, hey, I have forty thousand shares uh, uh, that needs to be sold. Do you want to be the buyer? And if you want to be the buyer, I'll give you a price improvement than what the market is trading at that moment." So a big order would come in. We would start putting our, our orders out, and then we would all get one price. We would get that price from New York, and then we would flip that to the electronic exchanges like Arca and INET and, you know, and try to make an ARP trade basically. So 
let's say if someone is coming at $33, wants to sell 30,000 Exxon at 30, 30, $35, uh, they would sell that. I would buy that at 35 or one or something, but the market is still trading at 35, 25. So I would buy, you know, a couple of thousand and sell it at, at, at 30, 25 and make my 20 cents and get out. <laughs> So how come this person selling is willing to sell it at a lower price when the market prices is, is higher? Because the markets were not that aligned as they are today. They're not, they were not as, uh, you know, what's the right word? They're not as balanced as they are today where when a market order comes today, uh, it is sold at the electronic exchanges, at the New York exchanges and, and the dark pools. That time there was no dark pools. The electronic exchange were trading on their own and the New York was trading on this, on its own. So you were buying at New York and selling it on, on the electronic exchanges and making that ARB every time. So how was that order kind of how was that order presented to you like how did you know that order existed So basically the the specialist has a condition which he would go to which is called the the U code condition so he would he would kind of pause the stock on New York saying listen we are in a U code mode where you can put out orders to buy a, well, how many of our shares, the amount of shares that you put out would kind of change the pricing and then you would print the price and then you would get that price and you could flip it at the same time or you could start shorting ECNs before that and uh, kind of make the money already. So as soon Makes as you, sense? <laughs> it does, yeah. Uh, that That type of edge doesn't exist anymore, would I be correct? Oh, yes, yes. Otherwise, I would not be talking to you from my office. I would be talking to you from a private chat. <laughs> you made that much money doing it, yeah? Oh, we would, yeah. I mean, at that time, you know, we didn't have that much capital. We didn't have the technology uh, to do it. But, you know, we were just sitting and just like, you know, you just, you know, a big order comes in, like maybe a, a hundred thousand share order. You would put out shares, you would get a special print, and you would just flip that to the ECNs and get out. When you say flip that, would you flip that like almost instantaneously? Yeah, my average in 2007, I think my average hold time was somewhere between six and seven seconds. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was just like, as soon as we get it, you would just get out, you know, because you're like, listen, it's a, it's free 20 cents, could be 30 cents, could be 50, could be a dollar. Uh, and I remember one trade I did when my coach was gone on vacation and people made fun of me because I was, I was that naive that, I don't know if you know NVR, which is a, a $600, $700 stock at that moment. Today is a $2,500 stock, but it had a U-code and it printed like two points below where it was trading. So I bought like 600 shares and made a dollar fifty on it or something like that. <laughs> and I was just a newbie. I was just a newbie. I didn't even think. I said, okay, any stock, the same situation comes, you do the same thing. I didn't realize it was like a $700 stock and making a point on a $700 stock is no big deal. And you should not be in 600 shares because it could go against you pretty quickly <laughs> <laughs> where was the risk on that trade like how could you lose money doing that i mean over time the markets get more <laughs> more sensible and there's more people doing the same thing and there's a fight in the office because everyone wants to get out first so you know the arp went went less and less and less uh and then later on we just started holding that print and buying more as it went uh, if the stock went down because we knew there was only one big seller that actually pushed the stock down otherwise you know the stock should be trading where it is how were you able to tell if there was one seller 
uh, driving the stock down. Say it again. How were you able to tell that there was only one seller, like one big seller who was pushing the price down? I mean, you couldn't. I mean, usually it's one big order that came in and then the, the same order could come in again and again and again and again too. But uh, what you th- that's the risk. I mean, you could take some chances that, okay, fine. Uh, I don't know Exxon one day there was like, I think there were three orders that came in uh, every five minutes. So basically, it was like maybe a mutual fund trying to get out. Like, you know, back, back in the days, there were not that many block trades. Uh, so think about this like a block trade. So if a big mutual fund were to get out, they would. That's how they would get out. They were like, "Listen, we want to sell three hundred thousand shares of Exxon, uh, and just sell it." You know, instead of a market order, do this. You know. Right. So was that the first strategy that you started running as soon as you came into prop trading? Yeah, that's pretty much the first strategy I started started doing when the market was still hybrid, uh, which means that it was not fully electronic. Uh, New York still had specialists, uh, and the electronic market had just started uh, functioning. You know, so there was that 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 ARP which was there during that time, and then slowly, every you know, the specialists started going, <laughs> and and New York became electronic, just like how Nasdaq is today. Uh, and there was no specialist. Technically, there is no specialist now too. Everything is pretty much automated. Right. So I guess it's fair to say that you were profitable fairly quickly when you started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why I told my parents because I was I didn't know what I was doing, and I was like, you know, uh, the the job the job options that I will like go work in a financial institution uh, and make your you know forty thousand, fifty thousand dollars a year. Or it was uh, doing this, which is what I loved, and which I really enjoyed. I said, if I don't make, you know, forty thousand in my first year, uh, I'll quit the job and go back to a regular nine to five job. And so, yeah, the first year I was profitable. I think in maybe after three or four months. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, when I look back at it, I think even a monkey could have done what I did. <laughs> I mean, all you had to manage is risk, obviously, which is obviously the, the hardest part of trading. Uh, but at that time, it just looked so easy and you were naive and, you know, you were just, you know, the youth <laughs> was there. You didn't really care about anything, you know, just like, yeah, let's just trade and, you know, take on risk and, you know, make the money. And uh, But that did have a downside, which I'll tell you later. <laughs> sure. And do you remember how much you made in your first year? I think my first year, I think I made I made hundred twenty thousand for the firm. Nice. So I took home about sixty five seventy home. Okay, I'm sure many traders would be happy to have uh, a first year like that. Yeah, no, I mean I was ecstatic because I was like, you know, all my friends were super smart and. Uh, and they all got jobs and they were all starting at like 50,000. And I was like, listen, man, I just paid 70,000. And, you know, I work only eight, eight o'clock to like three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was good. Now you said there was a downside to this as well. Uh, let's talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where everyone should learn from. And that's how I learned. Uh, and you kind of learn the hard way, obviously in life. And, um, I mean, what I would do is like, you know, there would be big, these big orders would keep coming in and I would buy them. And then if, you know, over time you get greedy, you're like, you know what, I'm going to sell. I'm going to wait for the market to go back up where it is. And then another big order would come in and I would double down. And then another big order would come in and I would quadruple down. And then sometimes there's news 
and no people knew the news before we did which you know like the way it is these days you kind of pretty much get the news maybe maybe 15 seconds late uh, but but back in those days you didn't you know it was uh, it was insider trading to the core and people didn't realize that but it was so you would get sometimes you know screwed in something like this you know where you would be down uh so i kept doubling down doubling down doubling down and sooner or later i saw myself i was down like i think 40 40 40000 in one stock I can't remember which stock it was i think it was fanny may or one of those companies and uh, you know I'll, and then i had to get out because you know it's not you don't have unlimited money or risk so i kind of got out and took a loss of about like 40000 in one stock which was humongous because you know uh, i didn't i haven't i never made that much to take a loss of that much in one stock and so you know i kind of spoke to one of the senior traders and he's like listen i mean you know just keep doubling down you know the doubling i mean you double zero you get nothing it's still zero so you can never double zero so you know think about it that way you know it's always good to if you want if you have a ta- if you have a stop you respect stop get out if you still like it take some time get in again and if you don't like it get out you know so i kind of learned that the hard way is like listen you just cannot keep doubling down because i'm i mean i doubled down before and it always worked out it's just one time and it doesn't work out you kind of lose your pants and so i kind of learned the hard way that listen you just cannot double down all the time instead you got to like you know get out respect the stop if you still like it get in again if you don't like it respect the stop you know so that's what i learned i think the hard way i think i remember that time i mean i was still a newbie i think i was a year into trading and i think it was like the fourth or fifth biggest loss in 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 ktg history at that time and it was like this newbie trader coming and losing so much money so you know my buying power got cut and like you know my shares got cut and everything got cut and i was like you know man i mean up till then i was flying you know and uh, and that's what this market teaches you you know you can never fly and every time you're flying you got to remember that you know you could go to zero very quickly and you just have to respect that and, and i think i've learned it the hard way and it's great because i learned it very early in my career mm-hmm. you know people learn this sometimes late in their career when they have kids and this and that which is kind of hard in life but i kind of learned it very earlier that listen you know risk management is everything everything i don't think it's the ideas you have i don't think it's uh, you know the keys you might have or anything i think the biggest thing is risk management if you can manage your risk the profits will always come now when you say you were doubling down on these trades you just simply mean you were just adding to your losers so you're just buying if you're long you just keep buying at lower prices exactly and you know you always think oh yeah it's going to turn around now it's going to turn around now and it should turn around why is it not turning around then you start you know like believing in god and saying listen please please turn around and when you start begging you know you're wrong in a trade you know uh so there's one thing i learned i'm like listen when you start begging for a stock to turn something is wrong you might as well get out and take and you know take the loss and and accept that you made a mistake because there's you know there's 250 other days in in the year where you can come back and make that money back again so um you know that's what i learned the hard way i think it was it was in 2007 so how did you feel at that time like what was going through your head when you went home at the end of that day Oh man, I felt horrible. I felt horrible. But I think one of the the things that I've learned and I keep telling all my friends the same thing is that 
what you can what what you can feel psychologically in my job i don't think you can feel in any other job you know the ups and downs the highs and lows everything comes pretty quickly and can come anytime and you never know and you still have to survive and you still have to come back the next day and trade um so yeah i felt pretty bad i went home you know went to sleep came back the next day i said today i just want to make 500 bucks you know i don't want to make any more money if i make any more 500 bucks it's 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 a bonus and then i just kept you know growing slowly again you got to start at 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 ground level <laughs> again and uh, it's frustrating but uh, it you know you know what doesn't you know what doesn't break break you makes you stronger so i i mean i wouldn't change any of those those trades or any of those uh double downs that i did because you know you learn only from losing money you never learn from making money <laughs> right and i think that was a good point that you raised that it's it's better that these things happen a year in or early on in your trading career than they do you know 5 10 years in because the um outcome will be much more uh catastrophic and I have a story of that also that it's happened to me later in my life too but we'll go on with the interview i'm sure that's going to come up somewhere <laughs> okay okay i've made a note um so do you remember how long it it took you to recoup that $40,000 loss you know i'm actually just looking at my chart from 2007 right now and i think i was up i was up about 64,000 when i lost uh that that money and uh, I think it took me about a month and a half, maybe two months. Okay, that's not yeah. too bad. It, was, it wasn't too bad. But see, again, you know, it's like this, right? I mean, the way I look at things is when the market is hot, you can lose whatever you want. You can always, because you'll make the money back. Like like last year, I would not mind being down 20000 30000 because I'm like, listen, the risk and the reward is great. But when it's a dead market and you lose that much money like right now, I don't want to be a part of that. That's bad trading for me. You know, that's something which I don't want to do. And in a good market, you can do whatever you want in terms of losing money because you'll always have a chance to make it back. In a bad market, there is no chance to come back. It's you have to, you have to, you have to earn it, you know, very slowly and it's frustrating and, you know, it's like you're not getting a paycheck and at whatever level, however rich you are, not getting a paycheck is mentally always going to, you know, hurt you. How do you think about what uh how do you how do you think about a good market and a bad market like what's what's the difference between those two um for me it's it's the vix you know it's the volatility in the market i mean like for example last year the vix was going crazy uh especially from you know september october onwards and that's when you know you you don't take vacation you don't do anything you just sit and trade all day and you know you just trade just trying to maintain risk if you can, but if you can't, but but that's where you know that's for me is a good market when when the VIX is going crazy, when uh, people are panicking. That's what that's what I like. Okay, so you perform best in in high volatility conditions. Yes, that's that's my trading style. So that's where I I excel. Right, and. Um, you know, as we were talking about uh, this $40,000 loss, I think that was around about 2007. Obviously, the GFC rolled around the following year. How did you go during that time? Was that a, a profitable time for you? Yeah, I think 2008, I'm just looking at my chart right now. I think I, made, I, think I finished the year up 813000 That's what, what I made for the firm. 
So I think I took home about 400, 500,000 that year. Um, and it was just basically, I think it was September. I think it was August, September, which kind of made up the whole year for me. Uh, I think I had like $250,000 months in those two, two months. And it was a great year. I mean, I keep, you know, we keep discussing between my friends who are traders out here that if we were, if we had the technology and the capital that we have today, uh, we would have been up at least, you know, 10 million that year <laughs> because it was, it was crazy. It was just, uh, something that I've not seen till date. It was, uh, I don't know if you know, like imbalances, which is one more strategy which we play is like marker on close imbalances, uh, where, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of the mutual funds will sell their stock or buy their stock at the end of the day. And whatever the closing print is, is what they'll buy at. And so I, I remember that, at that point, Bank of America one day, I mean, you know, we didn't have data as, as good as we have today. I think printed down like a point and a half, you know, uh, and if something like that happens, you would probably take a, at least 250, 300,000 shares of something like that. <laughs> so um, when I look back, I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, I wish I had the experience and, the, and you know, that I have today. I would have, you know, pretty much done way better than what I did back then. But at that time, it it seemed it seemed like wow dude like you know i never paid such a big a check to the irs ever and it just <laughs> felt uh, i'm like oh yeah life is great this is you know how life is going to be you know you're going to make you know half a million a year that's great life but no 2009 wasn't the best <laughs> okay yeah let's let's talk about imbalances is that something you still trade quite a bit yeah it's still traded but you know the edge is not the same as it used to be um, but once in a while you'll find something and you'll make some money off it. But, uh, on daily basis right now, it's just, I think they're better when, when the market is going a little crazy, the imbalances are much better because people are panicking out and people are, you know, pushing the stock in one direction, or the other, as of right now, I don't think there's much of an edge in imbalances and slowly, but surely they're going to go away. Okay. Well, I, I just, I think it would be interesting to talk about this, uh, uh, in a little more detail. I mean, I actually don't know even really what we're referring to here when we talk about imbalances. I think we've maybe talked about it one time uh, on the podcast, you know, in the history of Chat with Traders, and that was way back. Um, but when you're talking about trading and imbalance, what are you actually referring to it and what's imbalanced? So basically, uh, at, at 3.50 New York time, New- NYSE and the NASDAQ will publish an imbalance in every stock. Well, most of the stocks, right? So maybe let's say Bank of America has an imbalance of, of, uh, half a million. From that, uh, 250 is not bad. That means, you know, they don't have enough sellers and buyers for the 250,000 shares. Um, and then slowly you kind of, you know, buyers might come in to offset the 250,000. Uh, but if they don't, then you're kind of shorting the, the the stock and then you're buying it at the close makes sense sort of uh why are there so these are orders which are not posted on the market they're not posted on the market they're only for for the close so basically a mutual fund could be listen i want to sell half a million shares or i want to buy half a million shares at the closing price uh, right okay. the closing price is determined by by an imbalance that happens in the last 10 minutes of the day 
so for example, you know, it's a mutual fund wants to sell half a million shares in Citigroup. So you're basically trying to be a buyer so you can offset that imbalance. And then slowly the market will converge somewhere between where the imbalance is and where you are, where the market is trading right now. So there's a, there's a, there's a list that they, they will come out with that the clearing price for Citigroup is, is, you know, three, uh, $35 and 50 cents, you know, and slowly, slowly the price will keep changing, uh, close to where the market is trading. But sometimes it doesn't change as close to the market. And then you can kind of, uh, you know, play that as a trade. Okay. So how, where, at what point do you actually get filled on the trade? Only at the close. Only at the close. You get the closing print. And then your idea is to what? Get out in the after hours or no. the, the following day? No. So so you're basically shorting. So let's say if I'm going to get, if I'm trying to buy at the close, I am shorting before that. So I'm offsetting it right then and there. So basically, if I'm, I'll short a thousand shares and I'll put a thousand shares at market at close, market on close. And so you kind of offset it by then. Okay. You can follow you. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's a little complicated. <laughs> no, but it's a clever, it sounds like a clever sort of trade. Yeah, I mean, it, it used to be. <laughs> now this, you know, if, if, it, if, it, if it's closing at the same price and the clearing price is the same as in the closing print, sometimes there's nothing to be made. Maybe there's three cents or four cents. Uh, but that's, that's what it is. But, you know, back in the day, you know, there was like 35, 40 cents, 50 cents, and you could take a lot of size. And as I said, as I said, in 2008, some of the imbalances were humongous because a lot of these mutual funds were like, just, you know, had to like, just get out of stock because, you know, the world was coming to an end pretty much. Uh, and they were selling huge chunks, huge chunks. And, uh, at that time we didn't have the clearing price data. We didn't have, we would check on Bloomberg what the imbalance was. And so we were kind of playing in the dark. Today you kind of have a list which comes out, you know, and it's updated by the second. Uh, back in the that back in the day we didn't have all that. So, <laughs> okay. you know, there's a lot of money to be made back in the day, but we didn't have that list at that moment. And where is that list available today? Like, does that come out on Bloomberg still, or through your just general trading platform? Like, where's that list available? So, I mean, I don't know how we get it, but I mean, obviously Bloomberg will show what the, what the imbalance is, but it won't update it. Uh, but I think you can, you can get the list from New York. New York, uh, will keep updating the list or, you know, it's, it's sent through the broker. Okay. You can, you can subscribe for it. Right. Yeah. So you said that, you know, the edge is not as great as it used to be in these imbalanced True. trades. Um, yeah, but there are still some opportunities uh, from time yeah, to time. Yeah, I mean, there, there is. I mean, you know, on big days like the Russell imbalance or the quadruple witching or the S and P rebel, um, there are like those four or five, six days in the year where you know I'm sure you'll see the volume go crazy in the last ten minutes because um, you know S and P has to rebalance every quarter. Uh, the S and P 500. S&P 400, 300, whatever. And the, the Russell happens once a year when they will 
uh, re- you know, do a rebalance of the whole. I think Russell has I think four or five thousand you know stocks in some of them. So, so you know, some new stocks come in, and and Russell has to buy them, and some stocks leave. So there'll be imbalances where you know they'll they'll have to sell out of some stock, and they'll have to buy some stock. So you'll see a lot of these stocks moving even before. Uh, before the imbalance comes out because they people kind of you know start doing their own research and start making predictions that okay this stock is going to get in the russell and this stocks are going to get out of the russell and there's so many other mutual funds that kind of follow what the russell does so they also have to buy uh so it works like that makes sense okay yeah it does that that's interesting actually so the the yeah. rebalancing opportunities generally are more often or not around uh, the index rebalancing. Sure, yeah, more of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's some money still lying in there. <laughs> okay, okay. But so, it, can, it, it can, you know, people people manipulate this too. I mean, you know, you can cancel your orders in the last minute. So let's say you know you have a big imbalance in a in a in a, in a low volume stock, and then they'll cancel the imbalance, and you know everyone will get stuck in it and things like that. So there's a lot of manipulation that happens too. It's not like a straightforward uh, money-making, you know, thing. Of course, nothing. There is, is some right? skill to it. <laughs> yeah, nothing is. Yeah, nothing good can be eventually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So what would you say your style of trading is today? Like, is there an area that you specialize in? Uh, tell us a little bit about sort of the main things you're playing nowadays. I mean, I, so I'll, I'll usually play anything that moves pretty much, uh, anything that's in action. Uh, I also play a lot of reversals. Um, these days, the low floats have been going crazy, so you kind of play those. But, you know, you need to get smart and, you know, kind of, you know, it's like a momentum trade sometimes, and sometimes it's a reversal on that. So play a lot of these low floats, play a lot of reversals. So I'm kind of looking for a you know, big seller, pushing down a stock, looking for a big buyer that's buying or pushing up a stock. Um, so things like that. And then obviously I'll pay the imbalances at the open and close. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. So reversals is a, is a big thing. Yeah. That's my bread and butter trade. Okay. So can you talk to us a bit about how you might 
identify a, a good trading opportunity for a reversal? Um, in layman's word, I'm looking for uh, a strong move down, and it's all. Uh, I've kind of made algorithms that that kind of show me that move where a stock is moving down very quickly with a lot of volume. That I'm looking at something like that. So usually. You know that's why I like the wicks when it's going crazy because people are not people are just you know are selling on on panic more than they're selling on uh, on news. So I'll, I'll try to stay away from news reversals, but I'll play more like the panic reversals. Like you know, for example, the way you know the Fang stocks were behaving in November and December. You know, like people were just selling them outright. You know, and there was you know quick moves down. And I try to catch those kind of moves and flip it and get out. So you try to make quick 25, 30, 40 cents and uh, get out and then look for more opportunities like that. Okay. But if you're playing the reversal, are you almost trying to catch the turning point in a stock where it's been running up strong? You're trying to short it near the top. You're trying to, I guess, guess where the top's going to come in. Yeah, an educated guess. Yeah. So how do you how do you determine when to go with the trend or when to fade the move? I very rarely will go with the trend. I only go with the trend on these new low float names like you know stocks that are on reverse splits and the floats have become so low that uh, there's there's not that many people in it and and then there'll be these people on on Twitter and you know on all these blogs that will try to push a stock up and and you know stocks will go crazy uh, so I try to play one of those things sometimes I'll go along with it but I, but eventually I try to reverse it because my heart is always on on the other side <laughs> and how are you managing your risk on those trades? Like, um, you know, it can be kind of tricky to, to time the top. <laughs> yeah, obviously it is. And uh, that's when experience comes in, I would say. I'm looking at a certain criteria that, that, that if it's met, uh, I like to be in my, in my full size and then I'll keep a stop. And if it goes, uh, you know, it hits my stop, I'm out of it. But if it doesn't, I know what my risk reward is. Like, you know, I'll risk maybe like 35 cents to make, you know, to at least make 55 or 60 cents, you know. Okay. And is there something which almost signals to you that this might be at the top or, you know, a, a turning point or a reversal in the stock? Is there anything like, I like to see increasing volume. Uh, you know, if the if if the volume is increasing steadily, and if the stock is falling at the same time, you know, pretty hard, that pretty much signals to me that it's coming to an to an end. And then I look for a green bar and add in, and then put a stop. When you talk about you like to see more volume coming in, are you referring to the you know? more volume from the sellers, like aggressive sellers as opposed to aggressive buyers? No, I'm looking just for for, for volume uh, in as a whole because I don't know who's a seller and who's a buyer, but if there's enough people buying also, that also helps, right? Because, but it has to be, for me, volume is everything. Volume and, and the quickness that it falls with. Volume and the quickness that it falls. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to go more in detail in that because it's tough to explain. But you know, there's you know, basically I'm looking at the slope, and you know, my algorithms depending on on the slope and and the volume and and, and those kind of criteria. 
Okay. Are these algorithms that you've programmed yourself or do you have assistance for that? Um, I have programmed myself. Uh, but I mean, it's basically my idea, but then, you know, maybe, maybe some are programmed by someone else, but it's my idea, but the programmer might have programmed it for me. And how do these algorithms assist your trading? Like, are they, they don't, they're not, uh, they don't automate your trades, do they? They just kind of signal no. to you. Yes, exactly. They just show me if I, if I, then I use my own experience and my own insight. And if I like it, then I'll be a part of it. I mean, sometimes, you know, I mean, things can, you know, uh, algorithms can show anything <laughs> sometimes. And uh, I'm like, oh, I don't like that. And then if I like something, then, you know, I'm in it. Mm. So there's a discretionary overlay to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not like, you know, everything that it shows, I'm going to be a part of because there's a lot of noise. You just have to see what's, you know, what's noise and what's real. Mm. Um, Nish, going back to earlier in the interview when we were talking about, um, you know, some of the stories from uh, yeah. the early days of your career, one of the things we kind of skipped over and I've got a note here that I really want to speak to you about uh, is trading the flash crash. Now, I think, uh, was it the 2015 flash crash was where you really um, hit your stride? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you talk to us about, can you, can you share that story with us? Sure. I mean, there's been a couple of flash crashes, to be honest. I think 2011, uh, I think 11 had one. I think one was like, there's been a couple of. It was, this it was, is, this big was one in 2010, I think, was the big one. Uh, yeah, I can't remember right now, but I think 2010 maybe. Yeah, 2010 had one, I think, in May. Um, and uh, I did I did decently well on that. But, you know, you always look back like, dude, I should just kill this. You know, we all knew it was a mistake. I think there was once when... Uh, there was a flash crash, which was just a regular flash crash. Like, you know, the market was just going crazy, just fell down and you make money. And then I think there was one after that, which was a mistake where uh, a firm went uh, bankrupt uh, because the algorithms just started selling uh, all the stocks that they owned or something like that. And I, I remember making money on that too. Uh, but 2015 was a whole different one in terms of... Uh, the way what happened in 2015 is obviously the market opened down like what nearly, I think 600 points and then just dropped straight, I think down a thousand points, the Dow. And um, the way you can scale up so much because, you know, I mean, a normal flash crash would make six figures, but in this flash crash, you, you make a lot more because what happened was, and I don't know if I can explain this properly, but I'll try, is that a lot of the ETFs were halted, got halted. So an ETF that tracks the S&P 500, for example, or an ETF that tracks FTSE, an ETF that tracks XYZ indexes, the amount of selling in those indexes corresponded to the same selling in these indexes, but they didn't have anyone on the, on the, you know, to buy them. So there was zero liquidity on the other side. So these, these stocks were halting. Now, when, when this, they were halting, uh, which is really not ever happened where ETFs start halting, we kind of saw that. We're like, why is the FTSE ETF down 35% when the market is not even down like eight or 9%, right? Um, so 
as soon as these eat and what happened with with them halting is that a lot of um, stops got triggered and they were just you know become became, they became market orders lying <laughs> lying as sell orders on the book because the stock was halted the etf was halted and when when it opened all these orders just flashed down right and we kind of was waiting for all these things to open and we just kept orders down and we just bought as as much as we could as a firm i mean some people you know saw that some people didn't people who saw it made a lot of money i saw some part of it so i i i kind of bought i think like i mean like you know 50 60 70000 stocks of of a of a etf that trades maybe 100000 in a day <laughs> so it was one of those things so that's where you make most of your money in in a in in something like that because you're not scared you're like listen this is stupid there's no way that the FTSE ETF or the S&P 500 ETF I'm not saying spy I'm saying derivatives of the spy can be down that much when the market is not so you kind of know that there's a mistake that's happened because there's not enough liquidity in the market so just so I understand correctly the the actual futures, so let's say the S&P 500 futures uh, or the E-mini, whichever one, was down, I don't know, a, a thousand it, points I maybe. Think it was down, yeah, I think it was down like 7 or 8%, yeah. Okay, but the ETFs that track these were down like up somewhere up to 30%. Yeah, 30, 35%. So how come? So, <laughs> <laughs> so think about it this way that, you know, there's people – I mean, there's these funds which are just like people are just selling out of the funds, you know, retail, mutual funds, whatever. They're just selling out. They're like, listen, market my order out. And they don't realize there's no one there to buy it on the other end. People are buying on SPY and things like that, but no one is buying on these small 100,000 volume ETFs which kind of track the same thing. Okay. See, this, this was a mistake that happened, which I think CNBC covered for maybe for exactly three and a half, four minutes. And we were like, thank God they did, because they covered it too much. There would be some changes that would happen. <laughs> right. So you saw all this happening. What what was going through your head? You just you just tried to buy as many of these ETFs, which were uh, down the most? I was just looking for every ETF. So I have, I have a ticker which shows me halted stocks. So I was looking at all these ETFs that were getting halted and just as soon as they would open, before, before even they opened, I just put orders out like, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, 35,000, you know, as much as I could in my buying power. <laughs> and then as soon as they opened, they just swept down maybe like one or two points more than what they were already down. And that's what we did. So your orders were to buy on the open, like as soon as that stock um, came out? No, I, I mean, I, I bought some at the open and then I kept some just on ECNs below that. Because I, I knew that as soon as it opens, there'll be so many stops that have triggered when this market is, you know, falling is for you know, has fallen that it's gonna create a cascade effect. Because think of like, you know, thousands of orders getting stopped because because the stock is halted and no one knew what to do if a stock if a if a ETF falls. Basically, if, if, if the way, the way New York works, if, if a stock has moved, I think 10% in five minutes, they halted for five minutes. I should have said that first. Okay. 
right? So, and so that's what happens. Uh, they halt it and then they reopen after five minutes so that people get their senses back or whatever and they can rethink what's, you know, if the stock is worth buying or selling. Were you nervous going into this trade or did you feel as, or did you feel very confident that this was going to play out for you? Always nervous <laughs> because, you know, it doesn't work out. I mean, it's, it's not working out in the start because, you know, it's still falling, you know, even though you know it should not fall, but it's still falling and you're still buying. But you know that, you know, I know if this, if this goes on for long, uh, something is going to go, you know, so, something is going to give, you know, I mean, it has to turn around. I don't know if it's going to turn around today. At that moment, you're thinking like that. Maybe it's going to turn around tomorrow, maybe day after, whatever. But I know for a fact that this is wrong. What is happening? So I think, I think I was down maybe the most. I think I was down 200, 250,000 for maybe like, maybe like a minute. So you're scared that time. <laughs> yeah, that would be terrifying. It was, it was. But then, you know, one of our senior traders, uh, who, you know, who was one of our best traders and he was down, I think, 4 million. And I know my, my CEO asked him, hey, how are you doing? Are you feeling all right? Are, are you okay? He said, I'm feeling fantastic. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I was like, okay, if he's feeling fantastic, I should not, I should not feel sad about being 250 down. <laughs> so did you just completely max out your limits on that trade? I think as a company, we, we maxed out our whole buying power. I think it was just, which was about half a, half a billion dollars. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Our brokerage company called us saying that what is happening? Because I think we margined so much and we kind of, everyone was all in on everything because we knew it was it was a mistake what was happening but at the same time you're scared you know so you, everyone takes as much risk as you as they think they can so was there any yeah. thought about what if this did go wrong like what if this didn't work out i'll be okay with that i would i mean it's one of those trades where you say listen you know if if this doesn't work out you know, I think my winning chances were about 90, 90, 95%. That 5% risk, I don't mind taking on a day like this. Yeah, because it's a rare opportunity, right? It's rare. It's rare. It's rare. I mean, I mean, I know, I know people who made money on options where like the SPY options, like the SPY, people bought it like at five cents for, you know, like, and, and made, and, and, and by the end of the day, I think it was trading at like 15 or something. You know, it's like that. <laughs> 15 bucks. So Damn. a lot of things went crazy. A lot of things. I, I think my, my biggest trade was in, I think, I think Home Depot, I think. I think I had 50,000 shares. I think I made like 650,000 on that. Just on that one alone. Just on that one because Home Depot just crashed. I think it fell 30 points in, in, I think a minute. Okay, so you, so you bought a whole lot of ETFs and you also bought some individual names as well. Yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. How quickly yeah. did these stocks snap back? Uh, by 9.30, everything was over. That so in an hour, 45 minutes. And we were just hoping not, nothing breaks. That's it. That was the biggest. I called my wife. I said, uh, you know, Please, any God that you believe in, please start praying that nothing <laughs> breaks. I don't care about anything else. Just, you know, if we can survive the next two hours, yeah. <laughs> you know, everything is going to, everything is going to be good. But, uh, but yeah. So Man. that was, that was, that was that. <laughs> That's crazy. 
Can you say yeah. how much money you made on that day? Mm, I don't want to say the real figures, but it was seven figures. Okay. Multiples yeah. of seven figures? Uh, multiple. I don't know multiple. I mean, it was it was mid seven figures. Yeah, low seven figures maybe. <laughs> well done, man. That's awesome. Um, yeah. But that's my biggest day by far. I mean, I think, you know, and that's probably one of my biggest single stock winners by far, I think. Mm. Did your views on trading change that day? Like when you left the office, did you? So, so one thing I should say before that is that to, to do a trade, to be that confident on a, on, a, on a flash crash like this, it takes two earlier flash crashes where you look back and you're like, dude, I should have done way better than this. You know, it was, it was there and you didn't take as much, you know, you should have just gone all in on those things because it was high probability that things are going to turn around. So, I think when the when third when this third flash crash came, I was I was way more ready and confident on it. And you know the story I was telling you that you know I, I should tell everyone is is the story in 2014, um, and it was it was a great year for me to start with. I was up, I was up, you know, I, I think I was up three hundred thousand in the first three months. Um, and it was a great, it was a great start of the year, and I was really happy. I was having my first first child, and you know, my wife was like, "Oh, we need to buy a, a, a stroller." I said, "Yeah, buy the best stroller." And I was like, <laughs> "We need to buy this and buy the best." You know, listen, it's going to be a good year. It looks great. And then um, I was playing an imbalance trade, just like I normally do, but I didn't. I for some reason I didn't get my closing print on it, so I was in ten thousand uh, Amgen AMGN. And I was short 10,000 Amgen, which I was supposed to cover at the close. And I just, something happened and I couldn't cover it. And I was Allegrin, sorry, yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't cover it. And um, and while I was trying to get out post-market, uh, um, Ackman came and said that he wants to buy the stock for 150 or $140 a share. And, and the stock was trading that time at about 90 bucks. And so even it took me less than, I think in 30 seconds, I was down 300,000 in, in the stock. Shit. Yeah, it was just, it was crazy. I was just sitting at home and trading and basically I lost everything I made for that year. Um, and, and I mean, just the loss itself was was really hard psychologically uh i just had a child <laughs> you know it was just i think it was it was 15 days after that and i just couldn't believe what happened you know i was still in a daze i think when i came down I, I thought of quitting trading because i was like i don't know if i could ever come back from a loss that big uh or you know how long would it take you know it was just like you know m you know my whole life is like coming in front of me and you know i was just like i don't know what to do at that moment it was it was it was tough time i was pretty much in tears i called my my old coach and uh, he kind of told me he's like no just stick in there just don't worry about it just you know uh just hang in there and you know i was like okay fine you know what this is the reason i started trading is because i love trading and it's for the passion of trading and because this is what i would do every day of my life if i had a chance if i would i would work on weekends if there was a, if there was a shot of trading on weekends so i said you know what let's just go back to the love of trading and you know forget everything else and i started uh, you know trying to make a small comeback i think i remember the, the, the next month i lost $15,000 because i was just not there mentally then slowly i think i started making 
I think you know, I think made like you know five thousand dollars and ten thousand dollars and seven thousand ten thousand, kind of slowly 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 started chipping in on that loss, and then uh, I think in in about three or four months I, I found out my father had cancer, uh, so I had to go back to India. So I went three or four times to India, and I was like, dude, what else can you know the world throw at me now? You know, it's like this loss. Is, I just had a, a child, my first child. My father had cancer, uh, so he passed away in December. And by that time, I had you know I was I was I was still flying in and out of you know Austin to to Bombay. Uh, so I didn't have enough time to even trade properly. You know, I was still. I was still, you know, so much happening at that moment. So I kind of, you know, I think by the end of the year, I think this this loss happened in April, and by December, I think I had I had I had covered about half my loss. I was down still 150 for the year. Didn't make a paycheck, nothing. And then comes 2015. So uh, I think it was 24th or 21st or 21st of August. So yeah, 21st of August is 21st of August is when I I I finished my loss of 150,000. So that's when I covered all my losses and then 24th is when the flash crash happened. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> so you can imagine the emotions that I was going through at that moment in life because I had this crazy loss. It took me about a year and a half to recover. And I just recovered about three days before the biggest day in my life. That's crazy, man. There's like a Yeah. There's something there's something to that story. Like, you know, you were you were very close to giving up, but you know, twelve months yeah. later. Yeah, this massive win on the flash crash, which is like just makes your whole career pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, then you're like, okay, at least you know now you have enough money to you know to survive in trading because you know, I mean, if you don't have money in the bank, it's just so hard to trade the way you want to trade. You know, so I always tell people like, listen, you know, get a second job, do whatever you want, but keep some money in in the bank so that you have that confidence. You're psychologically you're you know strong. And you don't rely only on trading income, you know, because for a while it's, it's so hard. Trading is such a hard thing because psychologically, mentally, uh, everything, you know, it can screw you up pretty badly, you know. <laughs> and for me, it was like, that was it. I mean, for me, it was like that whole 15, 16 months ordeal ended up with the high of my life, you know. So, um you learn a lot from all that because I'm like, you know, I mean, I was pretty much in tears after that, after that big, uh, big day in 2015. I called my wife and I'm just like, you know, what a circle this has been and what it's taught me, you know. And, you know, I mean, I had some big days before that. I remember like my bi- my first big day, I think it was in, I think, 2007, I think, 2007. It was a big day because I made like, I think I made $100,000 in one day. And I told all my friends, guys, we're going to party tonight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I was like 20, 24, 25. I was like, dude, this is like, dude, who makes 100K in a day? This is like yes. epic. You second know? year into and you trading. Have, second year into trading. Forget second year. I've never seen that kind of money in my life. So I'm like, listen, party guys. Let's go out and uh, let's drink. So I got everyone to a restaurant, uh, just order champagne, this, you know, whatever people want to order, I said, order guys, and we all, we all drunk and this and that. I think I spent like a, like I think $1,200 that night just, you know, buying drinks for all my friends. 
and then you know uh, my biggest loss is obviously in 2015 uh, 2014 when i lost 300000 and i'm just like you know obviously your friends are there for you but you know no one is giving you the $1000 back when you want it you know <laughs> so yeah it doesn't I, work that way <laughs> yeah so you kind of learn in life that listen let's not celebrate the lows I mean, let's not celebrate the highs and let's not you know frown about the lows you know everything will come when the time is correct just work hard and you know have the passion for trading which i think is the number one thing for a trader uh if you have the passion you'll do well the money will come automatically and i've always believed in that so so when i had this big day also i didn't celebrate i just went home and i said sanal you know to my wife i said let's have a drink and that's it yeah Good stuff, man. Let me just ask you one more question. Uh, sure. I guess it kind of ties in with this. You know, just uh, on to a less extreme, you know, just day-to-day kind of trading, is there anything you do to help with your psychology? You know, if you have a few losing days in a row, it can kind of be a bit of a blow to your confidence. Um, and then if you get on a hot, you know, a, a winning streak – you can also get a bit overconfident as well. Is there anything you do just kind of day to day which helps balance out your psychology? So Aaron, you actually caught me on the right day today is a day when I've lost two days in a row and I've lost pretty much, uh, I think I lost 50 today and I lost 28 yesterday, which is a pretty big loss for me uh, seeing the way the market is going. So I'm pretty low on confidence right now while I'm talking to you, to be honest. And I was actually going to cancel the, the interview today because I was like, you know what? I just have, I have no mood of talking to anyone. In fact, I don't want to see anyone. <laughs> I just want right. to like go yeah, to yeah. bed and wake up. But I said, you know what, it's just, you know, if, if I was up 50,000 today, would I still want to talk to you? I was like, yeah, for sure. I want to talk to you today because I made 50 grand. So why should anything, you know, why, why should losses make you feel bad? And why should, you know, a big day make you feel great? It's just, let's just be as Zen as possible. Uh, so I try to be as Zen as possible and, and say, listen, let's do an interview and let's do the podcast. But you know what I do? I don't know. I just, I did go back to the basics. I say, listen, why did I do, why am I doing this? Because this is something that I love doing. I would do this on weekends. I would do this every day of my life because this is what I love doing. Okay. And I can only do things in my life that I love. So I'm a DJ and I'm a trader. So there's two things I do and I love both of them. So I would do that on any day, you know, and then cricket, there's three things. Cricket is one more thing, which I love playing. Uh, so there's three things that I love and I'm like, listen, you know what? Even if I was losing money, I would do the same thing. You know, <laughs> even if I got out on a duck, I still want to go and play at the next game and still want to succeed. So, you know, I've had two bad days, uh, and I've had a great streak from last year. I think, I, I think, you know, I think this is my, this, if this might be my first down month in maybe, I would say maybe in 16, 17 months or maybe 18 months, you know. Um, so I don't know. You just have to wake up the next morning and say, listen, this is what you love doing and, you know, just go do it. And just, you know, uh, for me, sometimes I'm, you know, if, if I'm trading badly, which is what I'm doing right now, because, my biggest problem in life is overconfidence and I get overconfident very quickly. Uh, and that's my biggest problem. I know it and I can see it. So I try to say, listen, you know what? This is, you know, put me back to, you know, ground zero. Time to start making a thousand dollars tomorrow, two thousand dollars, three thousand dollars. Let's just try and, you know, be, uh, try to look for the, the best setup. If there is none, do not trade, you know, just 
you know, the good trades will come, things will come. Just wait and you know be be patient. I think the last two days I have not been patient enough because I'm like there's nothing happening in the market. It's kind of a little dead on the way I trade. And for me, I'm trying to you know if there's one thing that's moving, I'm just like jumping on that one thing because there's nothing else that is happening. So I'm just trying to and, and because I had a good year last year, I'm just I feel weird that I'm not making as much money as I was making last year. Mm. So so I kind of self-analyze myself. And I know that this is the reason why I'm doing X, Y, Z. So, you know what? So, you know, just think, think again, you know. I mean, I, I know I have the, the talent. I've, I've traded for 12 years. So, I know I, there'll be good trades where I can make the money back. And I will make the money back. It's just a matter of, of when and uh, patience, you know, which is two things I lack. I lack, I lack patience and I'm overconfident. So people start asking me numbers and how well, how good a trader I am. It's a good chance next day I lose money. <laughs> oh, I'm serious. That's how it is. And so I hate talking about, I, I, I love people saying, you, you, you know, you couldn't make money that day. You suck. You know, things like that is better for me because I'm, I'm, I'm out to prove myself then. But people say, oh, you're the best trader and oh, you do such, you know, you make so much money and this and that. And I'm like, listen, man, please do not tell me all that because you know, for me to be overconfident, it's so easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Well, I think you've um, you've shared a lot of really great insight during this uh, this this conversation we've had, and um, it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. I hope so. I hope so. This is things that people can learn from my mistakes and make less mistakes of their own. But in the end, they will make the mistakes, and you know, if you can learn from it, great. If you can't, then you won't be a trader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if someone wants to find out more about you online, I know you don't have a great uh, online presence niche. Um, I know you're on LinkedIn. Is that the only place? You're not on Twitter or anything like that, are you? Uh, no, I mean, I am on other platforms. LinkedIn is one thing I'm not on because for 12 years, I've never, I mean, this is my first job out of college. I've never had to build a resume or uh, or needed anyone to get in touch with me for any reason. So I've never had to really update my LinkedIn. I don't even know what's there on LinkedIn, to be honest. It is there. Uh, <laughs> I'll it is there, that, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Maybe it was there when the whole fashion of LinkedIn uh, profiles were there, and I'm sure I made one. But I'm there on uh, I'm there on Instagram. I'm there on Twitter. I'm there on uh, Facebook. But it's all my DJ stuff, basically, because I'm also a DJ. So I kind of promote myself more on Facebook and you know Twitter and Insta. But it's all my it's none of my trading stuff is there. <laughs> it's all it's all the DJing stuff. Yeah, cool. When you do the DJing thing, like after hours on the weekends, that's the kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Friday night, Saturday night, I throw my own Bollywood parties in Austin, and uh, I do a lot of weddings and this and that. And I still do it um, for the money, and because I like to do it, obviously. But the money is a, is is a, is is one of the reasons. And I like keep telling people, like you know, this that's the only constant income that I have uh, because I don't know what what the market is going to do tomorrow or day after, or if I'm going to lose a hundred K or make a hundred K. So this is something which is constant. And and till money comes into my account, I'm happy. Even if it's 500, even if it's a thousand, uh, because if I make money in, in trading, that's great. So I try to, so now I'm trying to invest a lot of my money in different, different projects so that there's a regular stream of money that comes in and I don't have to depend only on, on the way, you know, what the market is doing, you know, because you can't have your life depend on something which you can't control. Yeah. Yeah, that's really so, cool, man. So uh, feel free to share the 
maybe your Twitter handle and your Instagram handle? I think my Instagram handle is DJ Nish ATX and my Twitter handle is Nishant82, I think. Uh, I, I, I'm always on Twitter, but I never really tweet. But I only tweet when I when I'm losing money in a trade. I'm like, hey, listen, guys, check out this stock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's yeah, it's at at Nishant eighty two, and then you can find me on Facebook at Nishant Porbandarwala or DJ Nish. Uh, you can find me on Facebook on that, and yeah, pretty much. Uh, there's no one. I mean, there shouldn't be anyone on Twitter who tells you how to trade or how to make money because no one should be doing that. And if someone is doing that, it's a propaganda on their own. So um, that's something which I believe in. You know, I feel like no one writes books on ways you can make money in trading because why would you? You know, you can write about the psychology of trading. You can write about, um, you know, risk reward. You can write about all that stuff, but I don't think you can write about ideas about how to make money in trading. <laughs> Right. Ultimately, it comes from your own experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's your own experience. It's it's it's. I mean, I've I've I think I've had about ten or twelve students, and uh, only only two are kind of still actively trading. Uh, and I, just, I don't. I, and I really don't understand what it takes to be a trader, to be honest. But I know the the retention rate in my company is probably about twelve or thirteen percent. Really, it's that low. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I think to be a trader. In this market, I think so. <laughs> mm. You think that retention rate would be a lot higher if it was, you know, back in 2006 when you started? Yeah, I think it would be much higher. I think it was in the 30s when I started, 30, 35%, because it was much easier to trade. Today, you got to wait for the right market. And it's been a bull market, you know, for the last whatever, you know, until 10, 11 years. And it's tough to like trade in a bull market because the volatility is so low in those markets. So when there's volatility in the market, we do really well as a firm. But when it's not, then, you know, it's, you're trying to, you're trying to make, you know, ones and twos. You're taking ones and twos and trying to make, you know, a couple of thousand here and there. So, you know, you can, you know, you can survive and wait for the right moments to come. Well said, Nish. Um, let's uh, let's call it a wrap. Um, again, sure. I'd like to thank you for doing the podcast. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and I, I appreciate. No, you it's been fun on my end too. Yeah, thank you so much, Aaron, for for having me on your podcast. Very welcome. Thank you. Take care. Cheers, buddy. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.